Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, January 13th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Da boy, it's Friday the 13th. You have to be very, very careful as you're listening to the podcast today. Don't spill any salt. Don't break a mirror. Don't walk under a ladder. Just tread very lightly. You don't want to like double down on the bad luck, right? All right. So anyway, we got the CPI data for December yesterday. And honestly, it wasn't particularly surprising. But the market reaction to that data tells me that the mainstream still doesn't get what's happening with inflation in the Fed. In fact, the scenario that they are imagining, I don't think it can play out. Now, based on the headline numbers, price inflation cooled again last month, boosting market optimism that the Federal Reserve will continue to ease off the pedal in its war on inflation and uh, on the monetary tightening. Now, as I'm sure you know, you shouldn't just rely on the headline numbers. A lot of times, a deeper dive into the data will tell a completely different story, and that is absolutely the case when it comes to the CPI. The fact of the matter is, despite what you read in the headlines yesterday, there is still a lot of inflationary pressure in the economy. You know, I keep hearing people say, well, inflation is done. We've passed peak inflation. I think most people believe that. And, you know, let's be honest, we probably have hit peak inflation for the time being. But this slow decline from peak inflation, I think it's probably transitory, to use one of the Fed's favorite words. And if the markets get their way, it is most certainly transitory. So let's look at those headline CPI numbers. On an annual basis, CPI came in at 6.5%. That was down from 7.1% in November. Uh, It was right on the consensus projection. On a monthly basis, CPI CPI actually ticked down by 0.1%. So we had a, a, a decline in prices month to month. The consensus was for monthly CPI to be unchanged, so it actually came in a little better than projected. So yeah, if you take those headline numbers in isolation, it certainly appears that price inflation has cooled off. But again, digging deeper into the data reveals that falling energy prices papered over the fact that most other prices continued their relentless climb upward. Now, as a result of that core CPI, which of course excludes the more volatile food and energy prices. And again, I'm still trying to figure out a way that I can exclude those more volatile prices from my budget. Haven't figured that one out yet. But regardless, uh, core CPI is supposed to give a kind of a more more accurate uh, estimation of what prices are doing when you get that volatility out of it. Core CPI was actually a bigger increase than the 0.2% gain we got in November, it came in at 0.3%. So you could argue that core inflation is accelerating a bit. But on an annual basis, core CPI was 5.7%. That was down from 6% in November. So that means everybody can kind of ignore that month-to-month gain and still plausibly say, things are looking up. Oh, I 
can't forget, I have to do my monthly inflation disclaimer. Every time that I do uh, anything about inflation, CPI, I have to make this disclaimer. Inflation is worse than the government data suggests. As I've said over and over again, the CPI uses a formula that understates the actual rise in prices. If we were using the formula that they used back in the 70s, CPI is closer to double the official number. So uh, we're, uh, what, 6.5%. So if you double that, you're talking about 13% inflation if we were measuring it in the 1970s. So really, really high, right? So... Let's dig a little deeper into those numbers. As I already alluded to, falling gasoline and energy prices were the biggest contributor to the decline in prices, and this skewed the overall numbers lower. Most other categories continued to chart price increases last month. In fact, there were only three non-energy categories that charted price declines, new cars, used cars, and commodities minus food and energy. Now, the drop in those commodity prices was primarily a function of a weakening dollar. Besides those, every other price category was up on the month. And some were up big. Food prices continued to climb relentlessly. Overall, food prices rose by another 0.3% on a monthly basis. Year on year, food prices have risen 10.4%. Shelter costs were up another 0.8% month on month. Services up 0.5% month on month. So as you can see, the big number the headline number says, ooh, everything's cooling off. Prices, are, prices are, are moderating. But if you look at these individual categories, things aren't so good. And again, you, know, you still have to go to the grocery. You still got to have shelter. You still got to have services. So you're still paying more for a lot of stuff. So yeah, other than at the gas pump or if you're buying a car, you're not really getting much price relief despite the guys on the news telling you inflation is over. Here's the less sanguine reality. If you annualize core inflation, it's still increasing at a 4% clip. CPI year-on-year was 6.5%. You know, that's a big number, right? We would have been upset about 6.5% CPI just a little over a year ago. Now this is suddenly good news. So don't take your eye off the ball. The Fed target is 2% inflation, right? Doing math in my head isn't really my strong point, but I think that 6.5 is bigger than 2. And as Peter Schiff said in a tweet, with the dollar weakening, federal budget deficits and consumer debt soaring, inflation really appears to be poised to heat up, not cool down more. And, you know, here's another thing. I see. I think it's important to remember that whenever they tell you inflation is going down, that doesn't mean prices are falling. They're just going up less fast. You're never going to see prices fall back to the levels they were before we got all of this transitory inflation. Even if the Fed won the inflation fight, you'd still be paying 2% more for everything every year on top of the price increases you've already endured. So that's just a little food for thought. Nevertheless, the markets view this CPI data as a sign that inflation is cooling, and it is buoying hope that the Federal Reserve will further slow down monetary tightening. The markets responded accordingly yesterday. 
Stocks surged on Thursday, continuing a rally that actually started a few days earlier as everybody geared up for good inflation news. You know, they were seeing the projections. So we were already seeing a rally in stocks. And in the 30 minutes after the CPI data came out Thursday morning, gold rallied big and actually briefly pushed through the $1,900 an ounce level. So you see, it's all about the Fed. That's what's primarily driving the markets right now. If people think the Fed is going to ease off the monetary tightening, everything rallies. If they think the Fed is going to keep up the inflation fight, well, everything sells off. Right now, markets have priced a better than even odds that the Federal Reserve will raise rates by only 25 basis points rather than 50 at the February meeting. So that's why we're seeing uh, all of this rally in stocks, particularly riskier assets, because they like the artificially low interest rates. Keep in mind, this economy is built on artificially low interest rates. So, you know, that's what the markets want. They want the artificially low interest rates. They want the easy money. They want the money printing. That's what makes this economy go. So, everybody's all excited. The Wicked Witch is dead, right? Or is she? You know, I kind of get the feeling that this is going to be like one of those action-adventure movies where the bad guy goes down riddled with bullets and, you know, he falls off a building and, and, and he's dead. And then, you know, everybody's calm and happy and you think the movie's over. And then all of a sudden, the bad guy is miraculously resurrected and makes one more attempt to slay the hero. This inflation saga is like that, except I don't think it's going to be a happily ever after ending for the Fed and its white horse when inflation comes back with a vengeance. Here's the thing. The markets seem to be missing the fact that any slowdown in Federal Reserve monetary tightening will almost certainly set the stage for bigger price increases down the road. Simply put, an end to the war on inflation means more price inflation. So, we really still need to wrestle with this question. Put out of your mind what the markets are thinking and, and, and what the pundits on television are saying. Put on your own thinking cap and consider what is the Fed going to do as we move forward over the next months. Now, I think absent a crisis in the economy, the Fed will likely keep pressing its war on inflation forward. We might see a slowdown in rate hikes. Maybe we'll only get 25 basis points uh, in February. That's possible. But when the central bank does go back to rate cuts and ends balance sheet reduction, and at some point it will, that means a return to accommodative monetary policy and money creation. Money creation is inflation. Price inflation is a symptom of monetary inflation. So the moment the Fed pivots, we're just going right back to the policies that got us into the inflation mess to begin with. And keep in mind, we do have tighter monetary policy right now. It's not exactly tight when you consider the level of inflation that's in the economy right now. Now, Here's the crazy thing. In effect, the markets are begging for a return to inflation because they think the Fed has beaten inflation. Try wrapping your head around that. It doesn't make sense. The markets are completely irrational right now. Now, 
I said this after the November CPI came out, and I think it still applies. It is reasonable to think that the CPI will continue to cool in the next several months. I think we're going to continue to see an improvement in these, at least in the headline CPI data. The math works in its favor, if nothing else. You know, we have big month-on-month increases that we saw in 2021. They're rolling out in, in, in 2022 as well. They're rolling off the annual average. So that pushes the yearly increase lower just by virtue of math. You get rid of those big increases and it it lowers that average. Meanwhile, the economy is slowing. I mean, make no mistake, high interest rates are subduing economic activity. We've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, You especially can see this in the housing market, but other areas of the economy are starting to struggle. We're seeing layoffs in tech sector and and, uh, manufacturing PMIs dropping. So the, the economic activity is slowing. Here's the, here's the bottom line. An economy built on easy money and credit can't function in this high interest rate environment. It cannot do it for long term. Again, the whole economy is built on money printing and artificially low interest rates. When you take that away, if the economy is built on that foundation, then eventually the economy is going to crumble. Anyway, my point is that just because we're seeing cooling in the CPI data now doesn't mean the Fed is winning the war on inflation. It's not. Maybe it's winning a battle, but it cannot win the war. Two things need to happen in order for the Fed to beat inflation. We need positive real interest rates. So in other words, an interest rate that is above the CPI. So we're at 6.5% CPI. We would need an interest rate at least 7%. We're still a long way from there, just using the government numbers. And of course, as I've already mentioned, it's worse than that. Uh, My friend Thomas Anderson developed his own inflation calculator. He estimates that by his calculations, using his data and the Taylor rule, putting in all the inputs, the Fed would need to raise rates to get this, 36% to actually bring inflation down. I'll link to his post on that in the show notes. You can read it yourself. The bottom line is that ain't happening, right? And then the second thing that has to happen is we need the U.S. government to cut spending and stop running huge budget deficits that the Fed ultimately will have to monetize. That ain't happening either. So that means the Fed can't possibly win the war. It might be able to brag about progress. It might be able to take its foot off the accelerator for a while and coast along. But ultimately, the Fed is doomed to fail. Meanwhile, the bigger problem is that while this high interest rate environment isn't high enough to truly tame inflation, it is high enough to break something in the economy. And when that happens, the Fed's back is really going to be against the wall. It's going to have to choose between a deep, long recession or back to inflation, or maybe both. (laughs) So, you know, my perspective on all of this really hasn't changed any in the last several months. I think we're going to muddle along like this for a while. Uh, I talked about uh, a couple of shows ago that, you know, the the economy moves slower than I think sometimes we expect. Uh, looking back at the 2008 crisis, we were already seeing uh, issues way back in 2006. It took almost two years for things to really come to a head. So I think Things can muddle along like this for a while. I don't know how long, but for a while. 
But then I think it's just a matter of time before something breaks in this debt-riddled bubble economy. And when that happens, the Fed's likely going to shift from a soft pivot to a hard pivot. In other words, instead of just slowing down its rate increases, it's actually going to pivot and start cutting rates and probably go back to quantitative easing. So to use a favorite Fed term, any cooling of the CPI right now is likely to be transitory. Before I close out the show, I want to uh, spend a little bit of time talking about the performance of gold in 2022. Now, I think that uh, the the general impression is gold didn't do well. Bad year for gold. And it certainly wasn't what I think a lot of people would have expected, given the inflationary pressures. But The fact of the matter is, despite market headwinds, gold managed to post a very small gain in 2022 thanks to a big rally in December. So the price of gold gained 3% in the final month of the year, and that drove the price of the yellow metal to a close of 1814 an ounce uh, as we ended 2022. So this was a 0.4% gain on the year. So, I mean, in essence, it was flat, but we did have a little bit of a gain. It actually closed a little higher uh, at the end of the year than what it opened at the beginning. Uh, Overall, it was kind of a year of conflicting forces for gold. The World Gold Council uh, released its report kind of analyzing the price through 2022, and that was the conclusion that they drew, and they're absolutely right. Uh, A strong dollar and rising interest rates as the Fed tightened monetary policy um, created significant headwinds for gold. We know that. We've talked about it before. Each rate hike by the Fed sent gold tumbling in dollar terms, particularly early in the tightening cycle. We, we kind of saw that ease up a little bit as we got toward the end of the year. Um, you know, interestingly, if you look at the price of gold in other currencies, um, gold had a fantastic year. If you look at it in euros or yen or Canadian dollars, um, it was really just in dollar terms that gold kind of kind of was in a malaise. And of course, that's due to the fact that we had a generally strengthening dollar through 2022. One of the biggest headwinds for gold was uh, the lack of interest from institutional buyers. They tended to stay away from gold. And of course, they sold it off with every indication that the Fed would continue monetary tightening. According to the World Gold Council, quote, aggressive monetary policy in most Western economies and a strong safe haven bid for the U.S. dollar conspired to reduce interest in ETFs, futures, and OTC investment. The World Gold Council also noted that long-term inflation expectations remained, quote, conspicuously well anchored, suggesting that institutional investors were convinced central banks could control inflation. Now, we've already talked about this. That's a fantasy, but that's the perception. So it's important to understand this. The market, particularly the mainstream, particularly the big hedge funds, the big investors, they have a perception of the market that is, and the economy, that is detached from reality. And so you need to keep that in mind. Now, some people do seem to understand this. If we look at the other side of the equation, strong retail investment demand supported the price of gold and kept it from falling even further. Retail demand for gold bars and gold coins hit an eight-year high in the third quarter, and that 
buying continued through the fourth quarter, the World Gold Council said this was primarily driven by inflation concerns. So institutional buyers, they saw inflation as a sign that you know the Fed's going to tighten and raise interest rates. So they're selling gold. Meanwhile, you've got retail investors out there that, that are watching the value of their dollar decline. And they're saying, you know, I probably should have some gold and silver. So we had those kind of that tug of war going. Uh, another plus in gold's column was the fact that central bank buying was extremely strong in 2022. So we'll get more information on gold demand trends uh, at the end of January. But you know that's kind of how things played into the price of gold. So putting the 2022 performance of gold into a historical context, the World Gold Council concluded that the price should have fallen much further given the dynamics. Quote, gold prices posted a small gain in a year when real yields, 10-year tips, rose an unprecedented 250 basis points and the dollar gained over 8%. The previous largest annual rise in yields was 150 basis points with a flat dollar. That was 2013 and gold prices fell almost 30%. So given those factors, you would have expected gold to really plunge. That retail investment and central bank buying kept the price um, supported. Um, the World Gold Council went on and said 2022 provided a textbook example of how diverse sources of demand and supply can counterbalance one another and provide gold with its uniquely stable portfolio additive performance. Now, while a 0.4% gain seems very unimpressive, and you might say, dude, that sucks, you know, especially considering price inflation. You have to put gold's performance in context with other assets, and actually overall gold was one of the best performing assets of 2022. We had a year when most assets were being punished. Wall Street suffered through its worst year since 2008. The Dow Jones was down about 8.8%. The S&P 500 fell by 19.4%. It dropped more than 20% from its high. The NASDAQ took the worst hit this year, tumbling by 33.1%. Meanwhile, the bond market tanked. Bitcoin collapsed, and we've seen the air coming out of the real estate bubble. We're starting to see real estate prices come down. So gold's 2022 performance underscores its value as a portfolio diversifier. World Gold Council analysis shows that gold's volatility remained relatively low while everything else was extremely volatile, and the yellow metal is not well correlated with stocks and bonds. So in other words, when stocks and bonds are dropping, you're not seeing gold drop at the same time. There was a little bit more correlation in 2022 than normal, but it was still pretty low. So you have gold that is a non-correlating asset. That's why A lot of investment people will tell you that gold is a good diversifier because it tends to go the opposite of a lot of other things. It tends to gold go up or hold value as stocks are selling off and bonds. So it's a good portfolio diversifier. Not too late to add gold to your portfolio and silver too, for that matter. Um, I wrote an article this week uh, about a business professor who made the case that both gold and silver will be valuable portfolio diversifiers in the year ahead. I'll link to that in the show notes page if you want to check it out. So, you know, if you think of 
if you're thinking about getting into gold or silver or adding to your position, now is a great time. I mean, the price, the price has gone up. We've seen, you know, like I said, we've we've we're we've, we're flirting with that 1,900 an ounce level, and and it wasn't long ago we were down around 1,600 dollars. So, um, you know, there's that aspect of it. But relatively speaking, I think gold is is relatively low, as is silver. So now's a good time to get in, uh, get in, add to. So call a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist today. You can do that at 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can email at info at shiftgold.com, or you can go to shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started page, and you can actually chat with a Precious Metal Specialist right there on the web if you don't want to talk on the phone. But do it today. I mean, these guys are great. They're going to listen to you. They're going to listen to your investment goals. They're going to help you see how gold and silver might fit into your investment strategy. So do that today. So with that, it's a gold wrap for the week. You can get more details on all of these stories that I've talked about and more. Of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on the Ship Gold YouTube channel, uh, and several other platforms. Links to all of that stuff is at the show notes page at shipgold.com slash news. And uh, appreciate you listening to the show. If you want to send me a note, you can do that. M-Mahary, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com. Love to get mail from folks. And uh, I hope you have a good, lucky Friday the 13th. I'll talk to you next week.